0: Hello, you guys. Welcome back to Healing Talks podcast. This is Amanda, your host, as always. And we have a really cool and a really fun guest today. I'm joined by Max Stossel, who's an award winning poet, filmmaker, speaker, named by Forbes as one of the best storytellers of the year. Max is also one of my old coworkers. And this is another example of how cool the universe is and how people evolve because. Who would have thought maybe 10 years ago that the two of us would get to sit here and have totally different conversation than what we might have had a decade ago. What I want to talk about today is Max's recent special, Words That Move. And it's, it's you can access it online. I'm going to drop the links down below as always, but... This is a really beautiful live poetry performance. He has nine different stories. He tells them all on stage. There's a little bit of VFX, a little animation, action, and Max and his storytelling is at the center of it. But then within that center, it's it's humanity. He touches on these just so many different subtle and overt aspects of what it means to be human in a modern world the things that social media do to us, the challenges that it brings upon our mental health. And it's just, it was such a beautiful and touching special. And that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. So I will now shut up. My spiel is done. Max, hi, how you doing?
1: Hi. Um, Yeah, good to be here. And it is funny of difference in 10 years. And I mean, well, I don't need to do any introing of myself after all that. That was so sweet and felt so good. And I'm so glad that, That, yeah, that it touched you and moved you in that way. Um, It's a big... That special is a big piece of heart for me. And art is inside the word heart. And I'm so glad that it's out. I've been working on it for so long. And just that now it can just be experienced and given and then I can get working on the next one feels really good.
0: Ooh, I selfishly am already excited for the next one. So how long did this take? How long did this special take for you to actually create?
1: So I was... First, like writing the poems over the course of years before I even knew that it was going to be a stage show where it would be performed live. And then once I started performing the stage show live, I did that for around two years. I'm like, I think it was like 11 shows total and scrambling that together, figuring out what that would look like. Um, And then once COVID hit, it was turning that into the special, which turned like took another three years. So just like overall, it's been Probably like seven total years of anything between writing the content and then performing it live and then turning it into a special. So that's just like a long time to work on one creative project. And yeah, at the very at the end, I was feeling so ready to be like, "It's this is just ridiculous creatively that I'm still holding on to this. This needs to go out." I was trying to sell it um, to like a streamer, and uh, the streamers were all basically had a similar reaction of like, "Oh, this is so cool!" And we don't have a category for you. Like, what are you talking about? Um, and I was like, yeah, just, but you make stuff that you put out stuff that people like, won't you think people will like this? And they're like, yeah, but we don't know. This isn't what we're looking for. Like we have very specific directives and you are not inside of our directives. Goodbye. And I was like, well, that's really a bummer.
0: I remember, I mean, this is probably like four or five years ago, maybe I was in LA and I had been invited to a Rupi Cower uh, special event that she, and she was doing the same thing where it was recording her poetry in hopes to then sell it to a streaming service. And if I remember correctly, I believe she ran into something similar where they were like, amazing, beautiful. We love this. Also, we don't know what to do with it, which is fascinating because it's not like poetry and spoken word is this new thing. Storytelling is the the basis of society. So why do you think it is that not even just storytelling in general, but this really poignant poetry and entertainment. Why is that not being received by major media networks or streaming services?
1: That was when I saw that happened. I remember being like, oh, boy, like because it was a little bit. uh, Yeah, she she put hers out and ours is very different in terms of like the amount of like production on top of the poetry itself that that goes on. But she's got like, I don't know, one bajillion followers. And from our VaynerMedia days of like knowing like, hey, if you're a streamer, this is just like a home run of put this thing that she's put together on your streaming service. Like, so I when I seeing that she did not find a home for it, I was like, oh, boy, like this is this is going to (laughs) be this is going to be a tricky, a tricky sales process. Um, And I don't know why I don't know why they don't want to take on this type of thing or category. I think they're like, I think their stock prices are falling and they're very afraid to take any kind of risks. But it's, yeah, like, I, I don't get how they're thinking about things. And I was very naive in a way that I was like, I'm gonna make something dope. And then I'll have a dope thing and say, Hey, here's a dope thing. Will you pay me and put it on your service? And I really underestimated the process. On a universal level, for me, there's a part of me that's like, Okay, I need to do it myself. I need to not yeah. need to not get the external validation and buy in and financial recovery from someone else saying look this is something to continue doing i have to show that this is actually what my heart wants and to keep on doing the hustle and share and let it reach not millions of people but thousands or however many and let that be more than okay and let it touch the people that it's meant to touch and Hey Max, it's like, what what is it? Why are you really doing this? Is it for all the external everything, or is it to share something that feels important to share and let it unfold as it unfolds? And it's the latter. And I would have liked the other thing. It made it easier to go make the next one and validate myself in the amount of time and energy and money I'm putting in. But yeah, it can't stop me.
0: I love that. And you know, I I also do love the um the naivety, and I mean that in a good way, but the naivety of starting out with this project and being like, of course, of course, this major streaming platform will pick it up <laughs> because it it eliminates, at least in the creation process, any of the fear or the blocks that might have impacted while you're in the creation phase, developing all of the different stories that you've been sharing. And I, I guess that's what I really want to jump into now is. Why don't you talk to us about words that move? What is it? What are your favorite parts of it? And then I have a I I have to tell you my favorite parts afterwards too.
1: Um Yeah, it's nine poems, each of which is means a lot to me. And it's the taking of the essence of each of those nine poems and trying to deliver them to you through the screen. And they're about a variety of different things. And I have strung them together to be one show and about perspective. And if I'm being super honest with myself. It's like each one of those is something I wanted the world to have. And then now they're in a package together. And that's lovely. Um, but yeah, it's nine vignettes of messages that felt like they came through in downloads and that I wanted to honor and give to the world. And I'm more interested to hear about your favorites than I am to talk about mine, because I love all my children.
0: (laughs) Right, of course. (laughs) You know, it's funny that you say uh, perspective is a piece of the narrative, because one of the things that I took away from it, and I'm sure this was intentional on your part, intimacy is woven throughout all of it and the different facets of intimacy. It's not just uh, you know, sexual romantic intimacy, it's intimacy with the stranger, the, the one-off conversation that you have with your hair, your barber, um, you know, the glance on a subway. And I think that that idea of intimacy, these moments of contact and connection, some of which we kind of toss away in passing, but then there's others, you know, you spoke about, which I want to get into, um, porn and sexual intimacy and, and that like contrast that happens there. There's, there's so many ways that connection is available to us. And then in our human experience, there are so many ways that that potential for connection gets blocked either by our own doing or by the world around us. And I I really just loved that as a through line. And I am curious, like how intentional was that in putting these nine stories together?
1: um as i look back on as i'm now reflecting it's like yeah each one is about a different form of intimacy arguably except the first
0: (laughs) yeah Um, yeah yeah
1: (laughs) and and now i'm like looking back being like oh yeah maybe it's a you know whacking my head on the subway opening up to a whole new world and then exploring the possibilities of intimacy i like that too um but yeah i mean it's maybe the most important thing to me is intimacy of all its different kinds of love and forms. And yeah, love is the main theme of my life and the way that I see the world. And that's much more than romantic love. Though romantic love is one very strong piece of that. And I really like that as a theme and thread throughout from intimacy with a dog to
0: yeah. the intimacy of, Yeah, oh.
1: you know, strangers and cats. And-
0: Max had, One of the poems is, I mean, really is about intimacy with the dog. It's the connection as a pet owner. And oh, my God, I was on my kitchen floor crying at the (laughs) the what was your dog's name or what is your dog's name again? Luca. Luca. So I'm sitting with Spartacus listening to you talk about like basically the wisdom that can come from Luca. And I was like, oh, my God, first of all. I've never had an original thought or experience in my life. And second of all, how beautiful is that fact that through storytelling, something that you're sharing about your connection with your dog can feel so resonant. I actually shared that with a client. it It really landed for her. So just know that it's already being shared because <laughs> that one in particular, I fired off to like three different people
1: oh i'm so glad and yeah there's i'm now figuring out how to like I've, each one is chopped into its own video and like releasing those and so people can pass them around and that one actually what is its own film that like has an extra piece of it as well of uh the thin line between fight fuck, and play um has like its own extended thing that uh is in this other film that i will uh i'm excited to share soon
0: i want to go back to And you're saying that like, love is your grounding point. And there was one and I, I forget the title of this particular piece, but it was the one where you were talking about how challenging it is to have a breakup with someone you love in modern day society. And your perspective was like, all of my actions on social media, they're now public, like there's no direct connection. And you know, as someone who's experienced that on both ends, there is now this like extension of pain that comes with the breakup because of social media. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about your experience with that. Maybe you can share a little bit about that particular piece with listeners.
1: Yeah. Going from having an open, honest relationship where hopefully there's very deep intimacy and communication to then the only place they exist being inside this bullshit world of everybody Mm -hmm. pretending how great life is all the time. And these little truncated messages that just don't have the context in reality. And yes, certainly for me. So this is now, that's two heartbreaks ago for me, that poem. Um, (laughs) and, uh, And yeah, and with her, it was like, I noticed one, how everything that I wanted to share was basically like, trying to show her thing, like trying to show her my life or me in some sort of way. And then also wondering how much of social media is scrolling through everybody else's performing for their exes and crushes. And then just like Mm -hmm. us viewing that as some twisted form of reality and then taking in how it impacts us. But, um, but yeah, like it was so much like, did she see it? Did she like it? Um, and so much of like, yeah, my whole and I also then found myself looking around in the world for like, what, like, what, okay, what can I share that might allow me some little touch point with this person when I no longer have the ones that mean so much to me? Um, and that's just I that didn't used to exist. That's so complicated.
0: It's so complicated. And it it's so pervasive, right? Because we're also in a completely different time, you know, compared to even like 10, 20 years ago with not even just relationships, but situationships and how without even clearly defined boundaries within, I mean, it's still a relationship, right? But without clearly defined boundaries, now a breakup or a separation in that space becomes even more blurried and gray because, well, there are still some points of connection or perhaps what's more challenging, like the potential, for connection, the potential for them to see you're like the story or for them to reach out. And so it just keeps us in this constant loop of waiting or hoping or projecting. And when we're in that that space of like hanging on, wishing, we we're, we're, we become stagnant with our heart. We become stagnant with our energy. And in fact, we get locked in the pain body, even if you know, the rest of our life that's not being performed on social media is fairly full or is fluid. There's still that piece of us that's locked in the wanting. And it's so painful and it's so challenging. And Max, I know that you do separate work with just social media's impact on mental health at large. So I'm curious, like, when you see that, because obviously you're out of that phase, (laughs) what do you say or how do you support people who are in that, in that, really painful untangling of their heart, social media and their acts.
1: I think the the low hanging fruit of it is to like, to at least mute, <laughs> like at least mute and un, or like or unfollow. I think muting sometimes works if, if that, if that is what's needed, because I think some of the most challenging parts of it are like, whatever, I'm not thinking about it at all. <sighs> Oh, like I was just sort of just scrolling and now bam, like I sort of didn't sign up for this emotional bomb that was just dropped on me. And now it's like right there sandwiched between like a cat video and like, and you know, and my friend like having a great time at a party is, oh, is that. And now like it just can drop in on you without your consent. Um, And so that feels like the low hanging fruit of it. Yeah, you know, like, but in the real thick of it, I think like deleting the app is probably the best. Like, it's probably better than than muting. Like when I was really in the heat of it, like, even if I was muting, I would be going to her profile and like looking for things and reading into everything that is and isn't there. Like, you know, there's some line of a song of like, I will read into everything you don't say. (laughs) Like, it's like like looking for what everything, you know, my mind just spinning out on me in a way. And maybe someone with more self-control or self-discipline wouldn't have struggled as much. But I also think like, it's just, it's like the deepest pull and desires that are just twisted inside of this machine. And this machine is so good at using whatever is genuinely important to us to grab and hold our attention. So, um, one thing, and I don't actually talk about this often, but I remember like having this ugh, social media moment where, um, like that, uh, that girlfriend was like, yes, a beautiful redheaded woman. And social media started showing me other redheaded women. <laughs> Cause I was looking at her thing so much and like, which is like, that like didn't quite look like her, but like, I just remember like seeing more of that and then being like, uh, like, Fuck you, social media. <laughs> for like trying yeah. to trying to say that like this is what my pattern is. Like this is not what my pattern is. This is not that you social media dickhead. But yes. it was just interesting to to watch that happen as it's like, oh, this is what it's interpreting from my behavior and I feel gross.
0: You know, it's it's so funny that you're touching on the the machine, the algorithm, because we just recorded another episode uh, with my one of my dear friends, Cindy Maurer, and we were talking about something similar. Where, you know, now on TikTok, there's the algorithm that you watch one uh, tarot reading or you watch one relationship expert talking about how to get your ex back, and then all of a sudden, that's all that you are fed and Especially when you get into the spiritual realm where that's unregulated and people are very vulnerable when they're in this like post breakup or heartbroken state, we forget or maybe perhaps a part of us doesn't want to remember that it is just an algorithm and it's not necessarily a sign. And that can be really painful, but the extension of our pain is, I would argue, Worse, But we were in such a, a, I mean, we're, we're conditioned at this point to use social media as where we live, as our directive. And so I fully agree with you, like mute, unfollow, block, delete, delete the app, whatever you have to do. And yet there's this deeper issue that comes up with separating from social media and media just as a whole right? You you talked about this in, I believe it was that last uh, installment where you were talking about how your perspective on sex and physical intimacy was totally, totally uh, not, what's the word I'm looking for? Not shielded. um, Distorted. Yeah. Yeah. Totally distorted by media. Now that's not social media, but it's what we're consuming.
1: Yeah. Um, And thinking about you know, young people today are really everyone. And I'm reminded from what you're saying, whether it's a spiritual community, also like, let's say you're a teenager who is just like, whether it's disappointed, a crush doesn't like him or afraid to to say it or whatever it might be. Um, and then there's just plenty of content about what, well, if you were more like this, if you were more like this man, then that's, that's what would be, you know, that's what you need to be and what you need to do. And just like this sort of tantalizing of like, oh, like, I need to be more like this potentially super toxic thing um, or like, or I need to be like, I guess this might be a way I'm lacking or a reason why, or there's like no shortage of things to fill that hole with this synthetic nonsense that isn't really filling. And most of the time I find in media doesn't really like, uh, doesn't really hit the spot. just like sort of gives us a version of a thing to pretend to be that might, might help us, superficially get something that we would want and maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. Um, but yeah, that uh, and right now we're also seeing 13 year old kids. Um, you know, you get social media for the first time you're flooded with either near porn or porn, like almost immediately. Sometimes it jumps to even darker places of like these porn bots start messaging young uh, men's Instagram accounts and then it turns into like sextortion cases of it's like seems like they're flirting they get them to send some picture and then it's like being blackmailed I'll do this with that picture unless you X Y or Z and yeah it's definitely a hard time to be a teenager and have any kind of healthy understanding of sex love or intimacy at all and and it's a lifelong journey to even figure out what that means and what that means for you but all this media is not helpful and it's what's even the trickiest piece. And actually I love this realization that if something were toxic all the time, it wouldn't be toxic
0: because mm, what I love makes that. it
1: toxic is that it's, it sometimes gives us things that feel really good or are really helpful, but then also kind of steers us in it to these deeply dark and unfulfilling places. Um, because occasionally social media might give you just the thing that you're needing or just what you're looking for and find that really helpful thing. It's just more often than not, the next step is like a steer towards either crazy town or something really emptying and unfulfilling. And um, and that's just, that is an addictive process in itself of like, oh, but wait, no, like I have gotten things that have meant a lot to me or been really helpful for me here. So maybe this is one, um, like just the amount of confusion and self-doubt and blah. Yeah, it's a pretty icky environment.
0: Yeah, it's an icky environment and it requires a lot of unlearning and a lot of challenging decision-making to say like, "Oh, wait, this is not feeling really good to me. This is affecting me quite negatively. And also I might have to learn like different ways of operating in general. Um, And that I feel like is where a lot of shame or fear can come up for people, right? Like, uh, wait, I need, even if we're just looking at like the baseline of like, okay, I need to change my social media habits and I want to focus more on in-person connection. Well, there's a high likelihood we're spending time on social media out of avoidance. What are we avoiding? What is the fear and shame in facing that? And then when we start to bubble out to some of the things that you talked about in your special, it's like, um, you know, and there was one where you had kind of talked about asking a friend, or I believe it was an ex-girlfriend, like, Basically, what's it like to be a woman and is it scary? And I'm obviously paraphrasing here, but you had to go through a little bit of unlearning in that process to recognize like, whoa, 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 wait, it can be really scary as a woman. And I, as a man, might not have that perspective. So there's unlearning there. And I'm curious, I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about what fueled that particular piece. And maybe if you could talk about the unlearning a bit more.
1: Sure. And then I'm also recognizing of we're talking, having both seen the special for those who haven't with the porn of it's basically about um, that not casting judgment specific specifically on porn. But I learned what sex and intimacy was from media and porn. And that was really, really bad sex education that caused for me to need to do a whole lot of unlearning and led to a lot of all sorts of things that I was not grateful for in my life. Um, And has been really a process of undoing that just to close that loop. Um, Yeah. And yeah, in terms of the piece about it being scary to be a woman that was around the me team, the me too movement. Like when I was trying to trying to reflect on like, wow, there've been instances in my past where I like might've like contributed to this and I've never raped anyone. I've never assaulted anyone. And Like, but like thinking, like, huh? Like, have I? In all of these, we're hearing all these workplace environment stories. Like, have I ever made someone like really uncomfortable? Like, I mm-hmm. wanted to really look at that. And like, is that true? Um, and looking back on my life, like, I think there were times where it's like, oh, like, I think I probably had, and then it was a whole interesting piece of like, huh? Like, do I want to reach out to these people? Is that for me or for them? Like, what's happening there? Is a lot going on? Like. Um, Have I just like made people subtly uncomfortable and been someone who has not been aware of this dynamic that I was, and the piece that I was not aware of was, we're just, we tend to be physically stronger than women. And so in a new flirtation, there is the possibility that I could hurt you. And I might know that I'm not going to, but I, you don't know that. Um, And then what does it look like to be aware of that dynamic? Um, and that's where yeah, the analogy of if aliens invaded and were gigantic and super sexually into guys, what would that be like? If there was just like big species that was like sex kind of sexually into us and somewhat aggressive, what would that look like? Um, and that's what that piece is about. And, um, and I, you know, the analogy I think is really fun and sort of like it treads a nice line of is a fun way of talking about something that is hard to talk about. Uh, And it's also, you know, as I've grown, I have come to trust myself in a way that is both feels like it contains awareness of that dynamic and also does not overly put the pressure on myself that I need to tiptoe around to make sure that everybody around me I know knows that everything is safe. I think I used to do that more and in growing have more come to be like, I trust me. I'm aware this is here. I'm going to notice if there are any signs that I'm playing into this and be very conscious of them. But I don't need to walk on eggshells. And that's its own nuanced learning and understanding that, frankly, that when I wrote that poem, I think I had less of that experience. And I still really like the poem and like the analogy.
0: Oh, I love the poem and I love the analogy. I, so, for those of you who, I am assuming most of these listeners are going to go watch this special afterwards. When Max is telling this particular story, there's, there is an alien on stage, right? He makes the analogy, as he said, of like, well, what if aliens came down and were sexually attracted to men? And that was the dynamic, very similar to what women experience every day with regular non-alien men. Um, and I think the, the visual impact and having other people slash aliens on stage with you, really, it, it helped to bring the analogy home, but not in a lightweight way cuz i think it's really easy to like bring aliens into a story as a metaphor as an analogy and to have it start to feel really silly and you were able to kind of take a visual that could be wacky and out of this world and actually have it land in a way that kept all of its power right you took the experience or the narrative as you received it from a woman of like really what it's like to just be a girl or be a woman in society and and Turn it into the male perspective. I remember, I'm sure this was like on social media, ironically, where I heard this once, but a man's worst fear going on a date with someone is that the girl's not going to look like her pictures, where a woman's worst fear is that she's going to be killed. And those are two very different starting points for meeting up with a stranger. And it's insane that that is true. And I've personally felt really frustrated at different points in time when even some of my male friends don't quite understand that. It's almost like, oh, you're being dramatic. Oh, get over it. It's not, they're not going to kill you. And what is missing is a felt understanding that it just, it is just different operating as a woman versus operating as a man. But I really appreciated the way that you brought some levity to that. Again, it wasn't silly. It landed really, really well. That was I think one of my favorite parts of your special.
1: That's it. I appreciate that reflection. And yeah, I think that meme is a man's biggest fear is that he's going to be rejected, a woman that he's going to be killed. And yeah, and that's, I think there's, there's reality to that. And it's also, it's, I have empathy for for a man who might be like abusing that in the sense that like knowing, and men run into this a lot with like, it's interesting with like the, I'm a nice guy. There's a lot of language around this, around being a nice guy where it's like what like i know that i'm not a killer or going to hurt this person so like like what like why would i have to be aware of this like this thing like no like uh, like i'm not, that's not me that's like it's a feeling of not being seen of it being unfair like we have to think about these sort of things um but yeah there's also like a yeah of like being a nice being a nice guy like i think also involves a comfort with that rejection if we're being nice until we're rejected until we don't get what we want then that's not actually being nice that was sort of being manipulative and putting on an act of kindness until things don't go our way as opposed to i think part of at being genuinely nice or kind in a way that that word means something is like an actual genuine care and respect for others not on our terms but like on theirs and we're in charge of our own of like oh okay you're you don't want to be with me here like all right great like thanks I'm going to walk away I don't want to be on this date anymore like goodbye as opposed to uh, I think what a lot of women describe is a reaction of like after men who feel feel like they've been doing everything quote unquote right and like been mm-hmm. like you know been so complimentary or like in paying for everything and doing all these things and then this sort of like anger that there's not whether it's I don't know like sex or liked or appreciation or something that then kind of triggers this the world is on un- triggers an anger, triggers like a frustration and discomfort with rejection. Um, but like, I think being actually a quote nice guy or kind means being able to feel that and not lash out on another because of it, but just being like, okay, like that's disappointing and all right, I'm annoyed. Maybe even like I'm angry and okay, goodbye. Thank you for being honest with me. Goodbye. Like it's, and that's tricky and a lot to ask of a teenager and something that we learn as we mature. But while we're learning and maturing, it's like a pretty uncomfortable process, I think, for women to be in as men learn and mature through that, because it's scary when we're a bigger creature that could cause harm. And even if we know we won't could, that's a scary place to be in for a woman.
0: Really what we're getting into right now is like the nuances and challenges of being human, right? There's things that are very, very simple. Generally speaking, be a nice person, take care of yourself, try not to cause a ton of harm. But underneath that blanket assumption or blanket goal, perhaps, of how we're meant to show up, there are all of these little challenges and unspoken um, experiences and expectations that, that just come along with being human and learning and evolving and trying to connect with each other. And this is also where I think poetry, spoken word at large, can can be such a beautiful interpretation of the human experience. It's finding those nuances and then sharing them from a perspective, like your perspective is not mine. And I really appreciate, I mean, we actually have quite a few shared perspectives, but simply by virtue of you being a man and me being a woman, there's differences. I, I think that's like the beauty of work like this, where you get to share a story. And then on the listener end, you really get to hear and understand someone else's point of view. More often than not, and you said this in one of the, um, the poems where you're talking about political conflict, more often than not, we actually have more in common than we realize.
1: In some ways, it feels like that's what The job or what I do well in some of this art is is sometimes giving, and I've heard this reflection a lot of giving people words for something they didn't quite know how to say themselves, and yeah, and like helping people feel feel seen and helping people see a different perspective in that felt sense. And I think poetry and comedy both have a powerful um, a powerful means of doing that.
0: How did you get into spoken word? How did you get into poetry and art? Because I really only knew you as I actually don't even remember what you did at Vayner. I don't even know what I did there. Uh, But I I remembered you in a very specific capacity. So was this a piece of you throughout your whole life? Or was this something that developed after, you know?
1: I think at Vayner had never written a poem as an adult. When I was a kid, maybe had some. But then I, yeah, I heard a poet perform. His name is NQ, And I started writing. On the way home, something was buzzing in my body and I started writing on the way home and the first two lines rhymed and I was like, ah, all right, I can do this. Um, <laughs> and I started writing from there. And so definitely, especially if anybody watches the special and it's just like feeling like so much is alive in them, I definitely encourage you to just, just try writing, creating, starting, doing something with that energy and seeing what happens. That was what yeah sparked a whole artistic life and career for me. Um, and it's been, yeah, a central piece of my life.
0: I firmly, firmly agree with like, put that energy somewhere, put it down on paper when we're, and it doesn't always have to be like shadowy or heavy emotions. Right. But that's typically where people are like, I don't know what to do with everything that I'm feeling, whether it's spoken word or you're writing, or I do a lot of art therapy with clients, like. Turn the pain into art, turn the anger or the confusion or the emotions that you don't really know what to put that somewhere and make it as beautiful as you can, because if you're feeling it, someone else is feeling it. And this isn't to say you have to share every piece of art, because I know how personal or intimate that can be, but it is a very powerful release and you never know what might happen might turn into max where all of a sudden this beautiful career starts to blossom from really what just started out as i'm i'm feeling some stuff right now i want to put it somewhere
1: i really like what you said of so much of this stuff and so much of the challenge being an overwhelm of feelings that we don't know what to do with or how to let out um I think that's at the core of a lot of this and in some of the social media challenges as well of like I'm feeling bored or mindless or lonely and then we sort of pull out the numbing tool um, which is right in our pockets and that's never been so close to us all of the time. And then yeah, how do we express those those emotions? And sometimes especially with anger or with sometimes with sadness, we have this perception that if we were to really let it out, that would either be really destructive, which sometimes anger can be, or with sadness like that, people would, wouldn't want to be around us if we're sad or we expressed how much sadness was in us. And you know, it's one way I really like to show up with people is with a welcoming of like, hey, like I'm actually way more curious in like what your real experience is. And eager to show you that whatever is here is like totally welcome and like and OK and that I'm not going to judge you for feeling or you know or believing whatever is is present for you right now i just want what's really happening for you and much less of like this clutter and story of what's in the way i just i would love to be with what is real for you that's yeah. a more interesting existence for me
0: that may be a good segue because talking about being with what's real with someone like how are you actually doing and then receiving the answer that requires not being in the performative mindset that social media demands that we're in. Mm -hmm. And I know you do a lot of work with mental health and social media. And so how do you get people to step back from that performative mindset or get out of that box and actually show up as real?
1: I don't know. In that work, I'm like, huh, do I? Like, I don't know that I do so well. Um, Mm -hmm. It's mostly me opening the door of, let me show you how this stuff is designed, which just like gives a nice starting point of, okay, we're all trying to work against these manipulations as opposed to like a, oh, I should be on this less, just like a less helpful framework. But I think like, yeah, like I've definitely found some schools I work with, the kids are like, just have a much harder time speaking up because they're afraid that when they speak up, they're going to get piled on the way that a comment thread or comment section does pile on and afraid of like a, yeah, afraid of the dynamics of social media being present in real life and how they express themselves, of what that blurry line. Um, and yeah, the best thing that I can do in how I'm showing up is just like try and show, especially if something vulnerable comes up, like to really encourage and publicly be like, that was awesome. Like, thank you for sharing and model that. Um, in some ways, I don't think I spend enough time with this, which each individual school or student to really work on that. I'm more starting the conversation and opening the door. Yeah, I don't have as good of an answer for you.
0: No, I think that's a perfect answer. We don't really have a lot of people starting that conversation, uh, at least at like a higher level, right? We And I, I hope at least kids are maybe picking up on this uh, amongst their friends or having side conversations, but the door opener conversation needs to come first before we can really ground down in. Okay, how do I show up in a real way? Hearing us talk about this, there's a part of me that's like, God, there's a long way to go. And like, there's a bit of sadness that's coming up right now. Like, I can't believe that we have to have these conversations about social media and just media's impact on us in general. There's also a piece that's coming up where it's like, well, it's also really exciting because... There are positive benefits from media and connection. I mean, l- literally, that is how we're able to consume something like your special or another piece that like really speaks to us. So there is a light and a shadow side. What is your hope for the future of how people are consuming media, how people are connecting with each other?
1: Yeah, in the spirit of, pre- yeah, I'm more present with the sadness right now of, yeah, just also how how much smokescreen and obstruction there is to being with what's here and what's real, how complicated and hard social media makes that in ways that I think, honestly, I don't think most teenagers growing up with this world as so much of a default in the water they swim in, just, it would be so hard to really break through that and really be able to stand for like genuine intimacy and connection and comfort with the many spectrums of emotion and reality. And I do, I feel sad about that and passionate to try and just like help people see how spectacularly beautiful that life can be and how, and once, yeah, once you get a taste of it, I think it's all you really want. Um, What I hope is, you know, I can go into my, my, my pitch of how wonderful would it be if social media Social media companies are using all this data to help us illuminate new opportunities and experiences we wouldn't have otherwise were realized were possible, help us meet new people in our lives that we later rate as we are glad that we have met those people. If it was actually trying to enhance our social lives, our values, if in an informational standpoint, it was measuring its success based on, like, did you did we help you become more educated on X, Y, or Z subject that matter to you as opposed to what news headline got the most attention? That could be a beautiful tech world, and I would love for it to shift there. Um, We're very far from that, and uh, yeah, and it's just like yeah, I feel sad and angry at the the level of complication that um, that is involved, and like the level, the number of layers of obscurity. Um, that social media adds to life and how difficult it is to even notice one. Um, because it really looks like life. It really looks like relationships. It looks like fun. And sometimes it is. And a lot of the times it's not quite. And it's very hard to even talk about that. And that makes me sad and frustrated. And yeah, like a, there's like a grieving for the direction that we're headed.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. And there's also, and I feel like you can relate to this. I also experience like a just this deep inner conflict. And it's almost, it's sometimes a daily reconciliation because I agree. We're, we're very much on the same page with like the, so much of social media that, that doesn't feel good, that rips away connection and intimacy and reality And yet as a leader in our respective fields, we have to be on it. And so for me, I feel like this dichotomy sometimes where it's like, I have to post or I have to create or put things out for people to consume. And so that balance, at least internally, I try to rectify with very similarly the direction you're speaking to, which is like education and connection and hoping to make people's lives better. But it's just—it's there is no one answer, and there's no answer right now. It's just—it's such a such a winding conversation to have to be split between those two worlds, to not really want to be in it, but also have to be at the same time.
1: I don't believe in have tos, and like, that is uh, super fair. <laughs> and I—I I know what you mean, and it for me, like I more long to share my art with the world and for it to yeah. reach more people than I do to abstain completely from this thing that really pisses me off and frustrates me. Um, I feel angry that I, that this environment feels like though it seems like the one that like has the holds all the attention and eyeballs and people in it. And that without stepping into its field and all of its pressures, um, feels like it seems like I can share my art with so many fewer people and that trade doesn't work for me yeah that's my own choice that feels kind of icky and it also feels icky to not do any of it at all I'm still learning my own uh, my own relationship with it and but yeah I would love for I especially would love for there to be an environment that just like felt more sacred uh, for what like for holding things that feel like they matter to us it feels not good for me to post this thing that means the world to me in like just in the social media environment. Like I don't want to put this piece of art in there. I'll talk about it in there. I'll show like maybe clips of it in there. I wouldn't feel comfortable putting the whole thing in the social media environment. And so I haven't. Um, But then even as I'm preparing to release these individual videos and they're horizontal and not vertical, like I'm just like thinking of how would I, how do I tell people about this? And I haven't figured that out. And I'm annoyed and (laughs) um, I would like to have a better relationship with it than I do.
0: When you first messaged me the link to words that move, you specifically said like, don't watch it on your phone. And I knew, I knew why you were saying that, but I felt and understood it when I then did, I mean, still screenplayed to my TV, but there is art, there is information that it doesn't get fully distilled when we're looking at it in through a screen or in clips, but it's just such a different experience to receive something, something artistic, something with weight, how it's meant to be received. And I think that does pose a challenge, but it also, my, I mean, my intention, a piece of it and having you on is I hope that other people will hear us talking and I'm sure they will click Watch words that move on an actual screen, not on your phone. Uh, And I'll fully echo uh, Max's recommendation when he shared that with me, because it is really nice to just, I mean, if I can even challenge you, put the phone away while you watch this special, please give yourself the, what is it? 40 minutes, an hour? An hour. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes by so quickly. I actually thought I didn't finish it. And this morning I went to double check and I was like, nope, I finished all of it. Um, But I think that's that's a sign of great art or great media where time sort of dissolves because you're so present with what you're receiving. The same thing can be said about connection, moments of intimacy with strangers or people, you know, it's just really, I think all of this comes down to presence with where we are, what we're feeling and who or what is across from us
1: almost everything does come back down to those things yeah it's you know this podcast is an example of like to me i feel more comfortable with this in social media it feels more in the realm of oh we're having a conversation like this feels like the type of thing that i feel more comfortable of than of oh sharing on social media as a gateway to it and there's something yeah. about it that where like that's a big part of why i'm doing this of doing podcasts right now it's like oh this can be a way that i can have conversations things that i can use on social media to help people get to this thing that i so want them to have that i very deeply do desire people to take this in in some ways like i can imagine a voice in my head being like whatever max like share pieces of it and like keep sharing it and like share it on the social media and then have them watch it there what's the difference and something in me is like no ew like like, I don't want, I don't want to display this thing in a room, where there is a billion other things and gets two seconds of attention. Like that doesn't feel good for me with something that really matters to me and like art and the depth and importance and vulnerability of, of this. And like, I don't want that. And I would rather people not see it than see it in that environment. And that's the choice. And that like, then I go into a hole. like, is that like some ego thing of like being like, no, if you see this and you have to appreciate it. But like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that. I think it's like, yeah, I think seeing a shred of it and then having the idea that you've seen it to me hurts and seeing it versus like, I would rather just have people when they're watching it see it and then have that experience with it. And yeah. I really want there to be a system that just allows it to be distributed at the ease and beauty that social media offers, where then it could lead them to the it. But that doesn't exist right now in a way that I know.
0: I'm still searching too. <laughs> Maybe we'll create it.
1: <laughs> I don't think I'm going to. If you do, I fully support you. <laughs>
0: Um, that's not really my specialty. I'll give the direction on it, but I can't quite create it. (laughs) Max, it's been really lovely having you and I can't wait for listeners to sit down and be really present with Words That Move and watch it in full. Before we find our break for today, is there anything else you want to share with people who might be listening?
1: I feel pretty good. I feel pretty complete with this conversation. Thanks for having me. It's been fun.
0: My pleasure. You guys, we will see you in our next episode. We're going to be talking with Cindy Maurer, as I accidentally teased in this particular episode, all about the algorithm on TikTok. Is your ex coming back? Mm, Probably not. And that's okay. So we're going to talk about that. It's a pretty fiery conversation. You're going to want to stay tuned. We'll see you in the next episode.